This is Into the Greenwood, Splitting Arrows, where we take a cinematic journey through time to examine how the popular figure of Robin Hood has been portrayed on film over the last 100 years. One of the things that I enjoy about this project is considering how these various films inspire and influence one another. Sometimes the influence is obvious when you have actors like Douglas Fairbanks and Errol Flynn, who have forever molded our notions of swashbuckling action stars. While other times you find works that are, frankly, fairly sallow and derivative. And sometimes you find something that maybe you wish might have had a greater cultural impact than it did. For this episode... We explore Men of Sherwood Forest, starring Don Taylor, a film I was surprised to find myself comparing to its contemporary film, The Court Jester, more than once. Today, Rick and I are joined by special guest Jeff Wilkinson, one of the bad movie aficionados. We'll have a brief discussion of our expectations for the film, pause, and then come back for our review and in-depth discussion. So, pop your popcorn... Pull on your tights and come join us at the Greenwood Cinema. All right. Welcome back for another episode of Splitting Arrows. This movie was one I did not initially think I was going to be able to find a copy of. So it wasn't on my, you know, release schedule as much as I have a release schedule. Uh, But I was able to find a, a DVD of it and so have gathered together my good friends, Richard Hopkins Lutz and Jeff Wilkinson to watch the movie with us. And Jeff, uh, in addition to being our good friend, I also wanted to have you on an episode, uh, especially with one of these kind of lesser known, more obscure Robin Hood titles uh, on account of one of the um, preferred activities that you and your wife like to do together. I uh, referred to the two of you recently as the bad movie aficionados. We do enjoy watching horrible movies. We actually, one of the podcasts we listen to is P.S. I Hate This Movie, where we watch the bad rom-com they're going to review and then listen to the podcast that rips it apart. So given that you have probably watched more bad movies than anybody I know. um, (laughs) I watch a lot of bad movies. (laughs) But I don't do it as a religious observance like they do. So, you know. I'm expecting you to be able to uh, have a lot of extra insight on, on that level, at least in regards to this film. Do you know offhand what you would consider to be the worst movie you've ever seen? Oh, God, we've watched so many of them. I mean, the the only one recently that made me, like, actually yell at the screen was uh, the Superman v. Batman movie. Ooh, that was uh, okay. That's probably the worst one I've watched recently. Coming out strong. I, I mean, I don't necessarily disagree. Um, I, I don't have a, a love for that film myself. This movie that we're going to watch right now is called Men of Sherwood Forest. Came out in 1954 from Hammer Film Studios. I believe this is going to be the first of our Hammer Robin Hood movies. It was directed by Val Guest, written by Alan McKinnon, stars Don Taylor as Robin Hood, uh, Reginald Beckwith as Friar Tuck, Aline Moore as Lady Alice, David Kingwood as Sir Guy Belton, 
Douglas Wilmer as Sir Nigel Saltair and Harold Lang as Hubert, Ballard Berkeley as Walter and Patrick Holt as King Richard. Uh, I have to actually scroll down a little bit more on IMDb before I even get to other members of the Merry Men. Leslie Linder as Little John, John Van Asen as Will Scarlet. So, oh, and uh, even further down, Leonard Sachs as the Sheriff of Nottingham. So I'm not expecting we're going to have a lot of a, a sort of standard retelling. I'm expecting that we're going to see something a little bit different than what we've seen before. And even though the title is Men of Sherwood Forest, maybe the Merry Men won't get highlighted so much since they were pretty far down that cast list. But other than that, I have basically no expectations for this film. I'm pretty sure none of us have ever seen it before. Is that correct? Nope. I, I've also not yeah. seen much in the way of Robin Hood movies where they focus on trying to rescue Richard. Uh, yes, going by the IMDb description, that does look like it's going to be part of the plot. I've been trying to avoid a, a lot of those kind of spoilers myself, ready for a surprise. I'm not too familiar with this cast. I, I'm not familiar with any of them in particular from anything else. Don Taylor, um, he was actually, he was in a few things. Um, yeah, he was. Notably uh, Stalag 17. Which yeah. Do know quite well. It is a favorite movie of mine. Yeah, he looking did direct him. Escape from the Planet of the Apes. Yes, he directed Escape from the Planet of the Apes, which was not a good one of that franchise. Uh, oh, but he, to... he directed Island of Dr. Moreau, the 77 one, okay. which is an interesting one. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting, it's interesting. Like I said, I, that that would be probably the only movie I would know him from. Looking at uh, looking at his corpus, yeah, I can't say as I'm familiar with the rest of the films in his filmography. Well, I'm basically have nothing else to say about this film. Like I said, it's a pretty obscure one, one I didn't think I was even going to be able to find. Excited to find it and you know, see what our first Hammer Films Robin Hood is like. Yeah, I mean, the, the Hammer Films, they have their cult following. And, you know, if you're looking for old school, gory, slightly schlocky horror with better actors than it kind of deserves, looking at Christopher Lee and, and Peter Cushing, uh, most notably, um, then Hammer is definitely a way to go. I, I and and this is in no way a criticism of Hammer films. I, I've I've watched and enjoyed several Hammer films, so I'm I'm really looking forward to our next Hammer Robin Hood film, which stars Richard Green as Robin Hood and the aforementioned Peter Cushing as the Sheriff of Nottingham. So that will be an interesting one. That's the Sword of Sherwood Forest. Um, that was made in 1960. But since we're going chronologically, we've got the men of Sherwood Forest from 1954 to get through first. Yeah, yeah. I hope this is at least watchable and doesn't contain some of the problematic stuff. As in the early 50s movie, I fully expected to have cheesy music and lots of problematic stuff. You know, it depends on the early 50s movie. It really does. Like the, the Disney's robin hood did not have nearly as many problematic things as you know 
some other early 1950s or late 40s uh robin hood movies that we watched um Mm -hmm. it was yeah the general track record for films from the 50s is pretty questionable yeah yeah um but uh we'll see willing willing to give it a go all right i i think that will do us we're going to take a break from our recording watch the movie uh when we come back we'll have our discussion of the film and it will no longer be spoiler free spoilers beware I should probably come off of mute before we record the rest of the podcast. Yes. 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 So I really enjoyed that movie. I that was way that was way better than I really expected it to be. I genuinely yes. I genuinely enjoyed that. That was that I mean was it was really it was very fun. much not the off-repeated story of Robin Hood. It wasn't your normal, you know, just him fighting Prince John. There was it was, you know, him trying to rescue make sure the king didn't get murdered when he landed it was right it had that similarity in that it had had part of the plot having to to do with richard's return to england Mm -hmm. and prince john's you know attempt to overthrow him so so that part was very familiar but it didn't feel like it was doing like this is the story of robin hood they even said at one point that he has been robin hood for 10 years so it wasn't yeah. like we're going to give you the origin story or anything and uh, the one character lady alice actually mentions the they talk about the ballads of robin hood mm-hmm. you know that there's been ballads right yeah so he this is a robin hood who's been around for a while and it is a significant episode and he gets pardoned by richard at the end which is feels very familiar to other Robin oh, yeah. Hood movies, but he's not given lands or estate. Or the, um, or the girl. Yeah, or there's the girl, only yeah. yeah, there's only two female characters in the movie. Um, one who is the young noble lady, Lady Alice, who seems like she's going to be the stand-in for Lady Marion, but yeah. she isn't really. She's mm-hmm. just kind of her own different female noble mm-hmm. lady character there's, there's gonna isn't they made marion in this she's movie. not the one who's fallen in love with robin hood and riding off with him in the sunset in the end like Mary marion always is she, yeah, yeah, you, she, she's you, betrothed to another knight you think yeah. that she's going to you know they, they even really set it up they they play up a lot of these tropes where she wants to hear about robin hood and she like has heard that he's handsome and dashing and wants to hear this mm-hmm. troubadour play his ballads and then yeah. when robin and friar tuck are in jail she does her best to rescue them and then she's riding out of the palace to warn him and his men like she's doing the same things that we saw other female characters do in these movies but in those cases they always did it it, at least in part because they were in love with robin hood by that point Mm. or in some of the cases robin hood's child in some of those films in this case it generally just seemed like oh i found out these other guys are traitors to the king and Robin's not, so therefore I'm helping him. Like it, it all was just kind of more genuine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The, the it it was, yeah. I it it had a different tone, um, mm-hmm. a much more roguish 
Robin Hood. Yeah. yeah. Like they didn't focus on like he's an amazing archer. He's a, he's a good archer, but so is most of his trope. So they they don't true. they don't have the archery contest like we see so many times in every other Robin Hood movie or story. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah, he's good with a bow because he's a good bowman. But he's also a one uh probably one of the more athletic Robin Hoods we see. Yes. Yes. Uh, he was jumping and tumbling and fighting. And had the pimp slap a doom. He could just pow, <laughs> hoisting himself up over things, swinging yeah. from things. Um, I wrote down that this was the most displays of upper body strength since Douglas Fairbanks. <laughs> yes, right. But you know what? If you're drawing a bow all day, mm-hmm. you're developing that upper body strength. No, he was very rough and tumble. Uh, and he the, was, yeah, that's the yeah. Phrase that stuck with me rough and tumble also also older more mature you got this idea of like yes he has been robin for a long time Mm -hmm. and he looked it and acted like it he was not a young man but clearly still a man like in his prime and very capable it is very believable as a robin hood who could be very jocular very funny one moment but also be very very serious the next Mm -hmm. I kind of bought him as both a trickster and a serious fighter. Very much on the trickster. And he goes into disguise more than once in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and he's also not above just intimidating the heck out of somebody. And yeah, no, he, uh, he, he, I had said earlier, he feels more working class. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, like this, the, he doesn't feel like somebody who's noble birth, you know, slumming it in the forest. No, this, he feels like a, it's a just what he does. Yeah, it's just what he does and has done for 10 years. Yeah, yeah. There, There's no hint that this is a Robin Hood who had been a nobleman that lost his land. Mm-hmm. They don't give us his origin story, but if he had been a nobleman, it would have come up at some point, especially with King right. Richard at the end. So it's pretty clear that was not the case with this character. And you felt it. You know, he, he seemed yeah. like a, as, as you kind of say, kind of working class hero. Yeah, and and you know it's like Richard doesn't know who this guy is. He's yeah. never even heard of him. The yeah. only vouchsafe he has for them is that one of his companions, when he gets back, is like, "Oh no, I met him at Alan Adale's wedding." Yeah, yeah. That that reference to earlier adventures was something yeah. that I really liked. Something that I think the movies in general have done a disservice to in regards to the story of Robin Hood. One of the the points that a, a guest on an earlier episode of the podcast brought up was that one of the reasons why he suspects that the Robin Hood outlaw tales caught on with more popularity than other medieval outlaw tales was because of their serialized nature. It Mm -hmm. wasn't just like a single, this is the story of Robin Hood that is being told, but he was sort of a character that was appearing in multiple ballads. There were, uh, as William Langland wrote, rhymes of Robin Hood. You know, Mm -hmm. there were multiple different tales. And the movies have kind of created this impression that there's like a single story of Robin Hood that can be told where that hadn't previously been the case. And this movie is one of, not the only one, but one of the few that kind of has sort of that feel to it, that this is, you know, an episodic moment in the continuing adventures of this roguish outlaw. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, and that was actually a nice thing because I mean, so many of the Robin Hood movies we have in modern day or just in the last 30 years, it's always here's how Robin Hood came to be an outlaw. Now he fights Prince John. Now he's defeated Prince John and King Richard just reappears somehow and everything's back to normal. It's like, okay, this took maybe a year. Yeah. Or this is like, yeah, he's been an outlaw for 10 years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that what you're saying is last, th- no, no, goes way further back than that because. Even the Douglas Fairbanks one, that's the essential story. Right. Yeah. And that's that's a movie that turns 100 this year. Yeah. So Good it's grief. it's been, that's pretty much the case of of a, anything where it's not an like an old Robin or a son of or child of Robin Hood. What you said is the formula is exactly the formula of the movie. And mm-hmm. even in some of those child of Robin Hood movies, like part of my one of my complaints about the bandit of Sherwood forest that was about Robin Hood's son was that it was telling the exact same story mm-hmm. just with Robin Hood's child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, it's not about saving King Richard. It's about saving Henry the third, but it was the exact same, the same formula, the same story beats. Yeah. But no, that, and, but then the, the movie was also genuinely fun. It was a very short movie, only an hour and 17 minutes. And it but it was, it it was brisk. Yeah. But it, it was, never was too fast. Yeah. It never felt it, rushed. It never, it was never rushed, no. Yeah, it felt like they, they told the story they needed to, they were trying to tell and they mm-hmm. didn't labor on anything. I would have, I would have kind of loved if this had been like kind of one of a series of movies. If this had been like, yeah. if they, these had been a, a set of, of kind of, those masterpiece theater short movie length kind of um, dramas. And, and they had done like a series of these that were various adventures of Robin Hood. This would have fit in great in that kind of scheme. Yeah. yeah. I really enjoyed Don Taylor as Robin Hood. Like I yeah. really liked his performance. Me too. Uh, it was very yeah. different, but very solid. He felt very natural in the role. He was charismatic while also active. Yeah, and he looked like Oliver Queen. <laughs> he did a bit. You're like, right. like in oh my, my head canon, my head canon for this is Oliver Queen is persuaded to take a vacation, and this is the like LARP scenario that he he rigs for himself. <laughs> <laughs> Oliver Queen for listeners is the alter ego of the superhero Green Arrow, and not not so much. Uh, looking like the Stephen Amell Green Arrow uh, from the show Arrow, but more the Oliver Queen from the comic books, especially the Mike Grell era from yeah. the late 80s and early 90s. Yeah, that that Oliver Queen looked a lot like uh, Don Taylor as Robin Hood. Yeah, more more than he looked like Errol Flynn's. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. So it was a good, uh, I also liked it as a Robin Hood, he relied on trickery more than anything else. Like he he didn't hesitate to intimidate people. He didn't hesitate to jump into combat, but his go-to move was always trickery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Trickery, deception, sneaking around. You know, like he, he like in, in at one point in the movie, you know, he's in the castle as a guest and he, you know, knocks the guard out and he says, you know, it's like, you may only be out for an hour, but a man could do a lot in an hour. And then proceeds to run around and spy on things. At one point, I do feel in there, he feel he makes a bad decision, but you know, it's, you know, cause he should just that one guy 
taking the note but he you know he's sneaking around the castle and he's like spying and he's he's you know well, doing he, all these things yeah and he he didn't kill that guy we do see him kill some people towards the climax of the film but it is something he actually seems genuinely hesitant to do like willing to kill yeah. but but it is not a go-to move yeah no no and he's and he's smart that that's one thing actually i i want to point out is that actually the characters in this movie uh at least the the main bad main bad guys and good guys are come off as fairly intelligent people they're mm-hmm. let down by their peons you know by the by the guards but like the the villains the villains have a solid plan like it makes sense the villains mm-hmm. trick the heroes multiple times in this movie yep yep and um and that's why thanks to the underlings being terrible that the heroes are able to get the upper hand and they, yeah. and they but they also don't ever trick them because the heroes are dumb either i don't want to give that no. impression either the characters the the main characters are heroes and primary villains all come across as clever and competent and that was really refreshing and different to see not just in correlation to robin hood movies but pretty much any action movie oh yeah well and especially yeah. in the robin hood genres so much of the trope is the sheriff is incompetent quite often either the sheriff is incompetent or guy of gizmore is incompetent yeah. um and yeah our, so our villains in this movie like we do see the sheriff of nottingham briefly he does come and try to arrest robin hood at one point and get and gets tricked you know because this is a robin that is relying on trickery and it, uh, that was another clever moment on the part of the heroes. Hides under the horse armor. Right. Yeah. But also, like, did the thing where they they made it sound like they were going to hide up in the loft such that the armorer genuinely thought that that's what they were doing, and that's what he tells the sheriff. It and was, the was sheriff it? was smart. He's like, oh, if, he, if they, you heard that they were going to leave the loft, they must be in the cellar. So he goes and checks the cellar. Of course, they're not in the cellar either. Yeah, exactly. Even the sheriff was like, seeing through a ruse he still got tricked in the end but it wasn't because he was being portrayed as buffoonish or incompetent it was it was well done just generally outsmarted but then our primary villains are basically a, a collection of knights who are not otherwise figures in robin hood lore a collection of knights who are loyal to prince john and attempting to enact a plot to assassinate king richard when he first returns to england to help john claim the throne yeah, um, no, so we, yeah. we it's hard to assess them in relation to other portrayals in that they're unique characters but they they fill the role of yeah. you know the sheriff of nottingham or sir guy of gisborne um, yeah, you and, don't, and they do it well yeah you don't see prince john in this movie he's not yeah. in this movie um you nope. see the sheriff of nottingham very briefly he's actually only really in one part of the movie and then the rest of the movie your primary antagonist is uh, an invented character named Sir Guy Belton, who you know might be standing in for Guy of Gisborne, but you know there's yeah. no mention of the Guy of Gisborne. Yeah, um, it really, he, just he he functions as evil knight loyal to Prince John. Yeah, and uh, he has you know a couple of primary henchmen, uh, in particular a guy named Hubert, who's again also very competent. He was pretty smart. Manages uh, the trick Robin Hood himself manages to trick robin hood in you know a very believable way and at no point did i feel that there was anything that didn't make sense or anything that came out of nowhere at no point did any of the character any of the primary characters feel like they were dumb 
you know, they were making smart decisions. You know, some of the guards we aren't going to go into, but yeah. you know, like, because that's kind of one of the plot points of the movie. No, it was, fa- it, and it was fun. It was just fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the, the action scenes were good. Some of the fight choreography was a little rough, yeah. but eh, that happens. It's like yeah, it's I thought like there was only one really big kind of sword fight scene in a castle hall. And I thought that was pretty good. I, I, it was very dynamic and action filled. I thought the yeah. choreography for that one worked. A couple other times it was pretty clunky though. Yeah, yeah. well, like, you know, you could tell people holding the sword to be hit, you know, in, yeah. in a few places. And that's... It's fine. You know, this is a a Hammer film, so it probably wasn't incredibly high budget. You know, Hammer was kind of a a movie mill, but I was not expecting a solidly good script, like a Mm -hmm. solid plot that wasn't just a rehash of any previous plot that, that had its own points, had its own moments. You have this whole thing of like, robin's sneaking into the the castle as a troubadour which isn't something that we've really seen you Uh know happen yeah Uh, and he he really plays the troubadour for a while you know kind of shades of uh the court jester uh the Mm -hmm. danny k movie yeah in in some some degree a little bit but here's the thing that I, i also really love is that he shows up he like gives a code song and then again, them, again, court jester. Again, court jester yeah. says that he's like, you know, this person, and they don't believe him. They don't trust him. It's like, oh, he says he works for this guy we know, but we don't know him. We, we can't afford to just tell them we don't believe him, but yeah. let's not, let's hold our cards. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, so I really liked that. Again, competent villains. It's a, a poorly titled film. Men of Sherwood Forest is not an exciting film no. or exciting title for a film and doesn't feel very accurate because while we do get to spend a lot of time with Robin Hood, Friar Tuck is the only other member of the Merry Men who we really also spend time with. You get a little bit from some of the others here and there. You know, it's a perfectly fine portrayal of Little John and Will Scarlet and, and others, but they barely get screen time, only a yeah. couple of lines between them all. And usually it's just as part of the larger band when they have to go out and rescue the king. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you could have titled it, Would You Be Interested in Gambling? Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, we, we should talk about Friar Tuck, who I'm going to say is my pick for Marius Man. Oh, God, yeah. Way and, and more not, than in any other movie we've seen. And, and not just because he was the only Mary Man who really got any scream time, but he what? was he oh. was pretty good. He was great. First this, gives, all, this, gives, this gives Friar Tuck the hat trick, by the way. Yeah. Because we gave the Marius Man Award to Friar Tuck for Rogues of Sherwood Forest. We gave it to him for the story of Robin Hood. And now for this one, three Splitting Arrow episodes in a row, the Marius Man Award goes to Friar Tuck. But um, can you argue with it in this one? Not at no. all. I mean, he get he he, he takes the cert, he took I guess the thing was intended as a roulette wheel all the time. Mm-hmm. He, he, <laughs> they steal the they steal the zodiac roulette wheel from the actual priests who came back from the thing, and he takes it into the castle. He's like, "Well, time to distract the guys. Who wants to gamble?" Plays roulette with them and proceeds to trick them into losing all their money while Robin Hood does of gambling all stuff. and is very good at them. And then right. his way of getting away from the soldiers is to <laughs> play strip poker with them. Right. Yes. Yes, he so touches that wins. So, so that a room of guards poker 
They don't have money to play with. So Friar Tuck well, plays. They had money to play poker. with, but Friar Truck Tuck didn't have money to play with. So he's like, don't worry, we just play for clothes. No, yeah. no, they said, like, ah, oh, as soldiers, we don't have any money. Uh, I thought it was just we're not paid well enough. Yeah. Yeah, uh, no, and, and then proceeds to play strip poker with them. And then when the you know, when when the bell sounds and, and everything, and then they're like, oh crap, are you, are you for a second? Literally just, Tuck just walks out of walks the freaking out room. the door while everybody's trying to go through the giant pile of clothes that they bet. Striding confidently away, uh, making fun of Robin Hood at various points. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Singing songs, being jolly, willing to throw down in a fight. No, it was an excellent Friar Tuck. I will give a runner up to Lady Alice. Uh, who was key to the plot um, and did not turn into a Marion stand-in. Right. Uh, There was definitely a little bit of uh, romantic tones there, but, you know, she's betrothed to this other guy and he seems, he's a decent guy. He came back with Richard. Yeah, she seems quite happy with him at the end. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, There's no wistful look at Robin. No, she's like, no, my man's back. I'm happy with him. My man's. Yeah, I think she gets an honorable mention. Uh, she was quick to to leap into action multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, did some dressing in disguise herself. Another honorable mention to her handmaiden, who just totally <laughs> yoinked the, this one priest out of the hallway and stripped him naked so yeah, that right. Lady Alice could, yeah. could wear his clothing. <laughs> yep. <laughs> this movie, this movie had some genuine laugh out loud moments and that was one of them because the priest just he he talks to the to lady alice and she's like are you sure you can't take him this rasp like i'm neutral i'm neutral i can't i can't i can't do that i'm just a good turns priest. around walks walks, the hall, maid grabs him yoink, yoink. <laughs> yeah the, the middle-aged uh lady just grabs him you see her hand reach out after uh, Lady Alice's attempts at diplomacy uh, and persuasion failed. Yeah, no, it was it was good. Yeah. And it was not the only funny moment. There were multiple other really funny we moments. We never do get to learn about the gay hermit. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. yeah, there's the hermit verse. Damn it. Yeah, there's a, a great uh, moment where Robin and Friar Tuck are trying to escape from a jail cell. They've been uh, smuggled in a rasp by Lady Alice when she was wearing the priest's clothes. And uh, to cover the sound of their sawing, they're singing this loud song body. about the Mary, this, this kind of body song about the Mary Forester. And the handmaiden mentions like, oh, I hope you didn't hear the verse There's about verse the about hermit. The- yeah. And just as you hear the men about to start singing the um, verse about the hermit, they've finish sawing their way through their their chains and uh don't go through with it all the way so we as the audience are left having to imagine what the extremely uh body uh verse about the hermit might be yes yes yeah it's it's now i want to know which was was also clever on their part i thought yes so compared Uh, to compared to my expectations i came into this with no expectations and they were completely blown away like totally (laughs) your lack Mm -hmm. of expectations are blown away i was expecting something worse too i was definitely expecting something worse the style and such was very much what i expected in general of that era of movie especially pertaining to that to that sort of theme 
but yeah overall it's a much better movie than i expected in, in some ways actually i will say it actually felt a little bit different from a lot of early 50s movies because in films made of that era a lot of times especially in this kind of like medieval epic ballad whatever you end up with a lot more reactions with music cues you know mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. robin is seized and you flash to the female character she's like <gasps> and there's <laughs> and the strings rise none of that there was none mm-hmm. of that and it's part of what made this movie feel so tight yeah but not rushed you know it, it, it actually you know it, it had the story it wanted to say it, that it wanted to tell it told that story and it didn't waste time on a lot of that. it actually makes it feel like a movie from a later time period to me now the score definitely feels like an early 50s score the the costumes feel like early 50s medieval costumes the sets were really quite nice they Um, were yeah i thought the blacksmith shop and robin's cave those were Mm -hmm. really nice sets there was a lot of set dressing a lot of pieces Yeah, yeah 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 they were really nice details on uh all of the costumes and set pieces um and they were in genuine forests like, yes. No. Oh, yeah. It, it looked good. They looked like they were in forests. The sets were well appointed. The costumes were well done and had nice details to them. Well, it looks like it was shot in England, so they had actual forests as opposed to California. Yeah. Well, One thing Hammer, actually really good. Hammer is an English production company, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Well, I explain um, why then. But you know, the, the the title card says Bray Studios. But I, I actually one of the things I wanted to say was this is one of the few movies you don't have like Robin in this in some cases rhinestoned tunic his shirt you know his one green shirt that he has that he wears for like the first third two-thirds of the, you know third of the movie is is re- fairly rough it looks like mm-hmm. a woodsman's shirt got this kind of very open collar with a spiraled uh la- a lace but it's not fancy it's got like a shoulder patch on this on one arm yeah and everything yeah it, it was you know like it was far more believable than and and uh forgive my blasphemy it was far more believable than what errol flynn wore oh yeah yeah, and errol errol flynn you know is sort of the epitome of the nobleman who becomes the outlaw whereas this didn't feel like the nobleman this was much closer to the richard todd you know this is the yeoman who has become the outlaw and Mm. therefore his outfit looks much more rough and yeah, uh, he had a good kind of, this looks like a proper outlaw kind of outfit. Um, but then he also had a very swashbuckling kind of loose flowing shirt for when he was the troubadour running around yes. the castle, uh, which again, reminded me a lot of uh, Court Jester. Yes. When yeah. uh, Danny Kay has got his kind of white floofy troubadour shirt and is mm-hmm. running around being a swashbuckler there. Yeah. Very similar look. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is something that we saw in a different, in a different movie uh it's it's fun that you keep mentioning the court jester because the court jester actually came out uh the year after this it did it 55 interesting um, interesting yeah so you have to wonder if there's any influence in which way it goes on that one but i was going to say one thing that they put in there that was in one other movie that we saw was signs of signaling systems mm-hmm. by yeah. the by the bandits mm-hmm. to know when people are coming towards the camp you know, we had the whistling arrows in um, the one movie, but in this one, it's more like horn blasts mm-hmm. or bird uh, calls or bird calls. And, and, and again, it's kind of one of those little details 
that's kind of nice to see that somebody put some thought into that yeah yeah there was like a number a of little, good little details or like little john waiting outside the castle for robin's signal and having and, and himself having a little signal lamp yeah or yeah it might have been a mirror it might have been it was mirror. like a mirror and a can and a, and a little fire yeah. yeah one one other note i wanted to make uh when we're talking about the time period and expectations a lot of the other movies of this time period coming from the late 40s and early 50s, you could really see this sort of backlash to the rise of communism. And one of the ways I've identified that is seeing how unwilling these movies have been to be critical of Christianity and of the church as an institution. Mm -hmm. You know, that's one of the ways that the US in particular, but probably also to a degree Britain, I, I don't know a lot about this, we're reacting to the specifically atheistic USSR is to put under God um, in the Pledge of Allegiance and on our currency and, you know, emphasize that we're, we are devout. And you see this in a lot of the other Robin Hood movies from the time period where Robin Hood does not seem to rob, you know, members of the clergy, where mm -hmm. we are presented with in multiple movies, the Archbishop of Canterbury as being an unquestionably good and righteous figure. Mm -hmm. And in this movie, that is not the case. Robin specifically calls out how there is corruption in the church. Which is accurate because, I mean, the church was on the same tier as nobility at that time, basically. Yeah, yeah it, well, it's not yeah. belabored. It's not significant to the plot. But, and, and he, you know, is even handed about it. He says there are righteous, you know, and well-meaning churchmen, but it is corrupt and calls out a particular abbey that is exploiting, you know, the people that live in its vicinity and is feeling no qualms about stealing, you know, the gold that is intended to go to the abbey and not to the people. You know, it, it was yeah. something unexpected from the time period. Well, and, and this is where I think... Definitely some of this is the difference between American movies and British movies. Yep. Which is something you'll always see in British television feels different than American television. British movies feel different. And Britain doesn't always acknowledge some of the, the not so great parts of their history, but uh, they, they, they'll cop to it sometimes. They'll be like, mm -hmm. yeah, no, the Anglican church was kind of terrible point yeah. or the the catholic church in catholic england was the, the sorry the catholic church in england was kind of terrible at that point and you know that they'll have no problem bashing the catholic <laughs> church of the 12th century <laughs> i mean there's a lot to bash mm -hmm. yeah and it's it comes through in this movie it really does also we were a little bit worried going in relating to how 50s the film was going to be and i think we we were kind of beating around the bush a little bit, but I think we were mostly talking about how how misogynistic it was likely to be, possibly oh. racist too. And while this was certainly not a feminist movie by any stretch, technically passes the Bechdel test, but like when you only have the two female characters, it <laughs> right. doesn't really mean much. But it didn't have the kind of gross misogyny and toxic relationships that mm -hmm. we were worried mm -hmm. we might see and that you do see in a lot of other films from the time period. Yeah, like there was definitely a little bit of a infatuation on Alice's part towards Robin Hood, but it she's never treated poorly by anybody. 
she's never called a foolish girl she's never dismissed she's, angrily or anything like that well and both her and her handmaid are thoroughly competent yes yes they are painted as as competent people who want to forward good in the world you know like even even when they don't have all of the information it's just because they don't have all of the information not because they're dumb mm-hmm. yeah yeah exactly so it, it exceeded expectations in terms of our fears of how it might come across as a movie of its time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes definitely definitely so let's go ahead and run down some of the lists of the the questions we already covered merriest man there was a, a clear winner here again as there often has been um but this one more than most because you did spend very little time but it did help robin hood shine he mm-hmm. came across as a heroic figure even if it did end up being at a, a bit of the expense of the supporting cast okay so greatest feat of archery in the film there wasn't a lot of archery in the film as jeff mentioned no archery contest but there were there were a couple of impressive shots. I mean, there was the shot out the window to deliver the message to John. By candlelight at dark. By candlelight, By candlelight at dark, dark and not shoot John. Yeah, I did like the shot at the end where he shoots. Sir Guy is up in a tree about ready to jump on King Richard and knife him like a jerk. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, this is not at night or anything, but it's in a dark wood. And Robin from horseback friggin' nails the guy. Yeah, at full gallop. At full gallop. Um, that, yeah, that, that was, those were really the, the two that jumped out at me, shooting the message arrow to Little John by candlelight and shooting the villain from horseback. Um, I did, both I, excellent feats of archery done by Robin Hood. Yeah, I am going to also mention the shot, shooting of the two guards who were assaulting King, Mary, uh, uh, not Mary, uh, uh, Lady, Lady Alice. Alice. Because that was... I don't know if that was meant to be at night or if it was just the quality of the film, but it felt like it was at night. I took it to be kind of twilight. Yeah, kind of twilight. And he hits both of them moving targets mm-hmm. uh, who are struggling with somebody he doesn't want to hit. Mm-hmm. And that's a ch- it, and from a from a castle window that is easily fifty yards away. Yeah, you know? and that's or that's more. impressive. Yeah. Or more, and that's impressive mm-hmm. too. So there is some impressive, honestly, there's more impressive archery in this than there is in some of these other Robin Hood movies than the, that we've seen, for, even though there's not much archery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they never have to belabor the notion that Robin Hood is an expert archer. This is the Robin Hood who already exists as a legendary figure, right. just being the excellent archer that he is. And yeah, I, I'll go actually- back to that. Actually, one of the things I actually really appreciate about this movie is they didn't they didn't do his origin. It's just like, yeah, it's Robin Hood. Everyone knows who Robin Hood is. Carrying on. Yeah, it, it didn't fall into the Spider-Man movie trap. Right. right? Have to retell his origin every freaking. Every like, freaking I don't time. need his origin story. Just because you change like, the actor doesn't mean I need to know where Spider-Man came from again. Yeah, I, that's that is one thing I did appreciate. That you know, we haven't seen Tom Holland go through the. <laughs> I'm just like, come on! I know who freaking Spider-Man is. Um, how about? Best example of swashbuckling action. When I think of swashbuckling, it's got to be swinging from chandeliers. <laughs> Which he literally does. He Which he does very well as a way to be sneaky. Yes, as a sneaking swinging from a chandelier. and like lands on the table utterly silently. And yes, that was very... Any of the glasses, none of the food that's left there as he's trying to get past the sleeping guards on the floor of the Great Hall. That I really that, like that. 
that may be the most impressive one i don't know if it's as far as like i don't know that the the fight that ensues afterwards is full of a lot of really nice swashbuckling you know he does like he does swing on the chandelier again yeah yeah it's it's i have to say it's actually a little tough to pick the best example of swashbuckling because there was a surprising amount of it in this mostly right in the middle of the movie but a surprising (laughs) amount of it but yeah no i like the stealthy chandelier swinging myself i thought that was pretty good yeah yeah i i agree had a very tense and kind of video gamey sort of feel as he was sneaking around the castle, avoiding being seen, avoiding Solid waking snake. people up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then during the the kind of big castle fight scene, there was a lot of like jumping over tables and all. Yeah, how many pull ups does that guy do in a day, Don Seriously. Holy crap! Also, that was one thing is is like at no point. Did I see any obvious stuntman swap outs? Yeah. And I appreciate that. There were a few points where I was pretty sure there was a stuntman, but it was, like you said, it wasn't obvious. It wasn't like, yeah. ooh, this is blatantly a stuntman. Yeah. If they did um, it, they hit it well. Yeah. There was one scene where he is scaling the outside of a castle wall, and yeah. the film is cut in such a way as you can tell that he is not actually scaling the, the wall in that. They, they kind of cut it off below the legs. Yeah. So the actor could obviously be standing on something. So that wasn't impressive visually, but it was still a, a, a neat concept um, and felt fitting with this Robin Hood who we see hoisting himself up rafters and hoisting himself up bell poles, uh, various other points. The idea that this is a Robin Hood who had the kind of dexterity and strength to do something like scale the outside of a castle wall felt fitting with what we had seen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, they, and, they only have one stunt person listed in this, and it's the fight director. Unfortunately, stunt people were not always well credited in, in movies. Yeah. How about wittiest bit of banter? There was a lot of really nice witty banter in this, especially out of Friar Tuck, but yeah. also out of Robin. Like they had some, they had mm-hmm. some back and forth that were just. I mean, I appreciated the bit of back and forth between both of them when they were Robin as the troubadour, Friar Tuck as the abbot, and they're both insulting each other's actual personas. Yes, I liked that bit. That's the one that actually kind of sticks out for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Although anytime Friar Tuck is about to start any kind of gambling, you know, like he's sitting in the guard room and he's, he's a prisoner and he's asked to be kind of isolated. And, you know, some of this is to communicate with Robin and everything. And he pulls out this pouch. He's like, hey, what do you got there? And he's like, oh, these? You know? <laughs> and he acts so innocent. He's like, oh, these? These are, these are, are displays you know, of all the forms of chivalry. All the forms of chivalry. See, here's a, he's out it's of, a like, deck of cards. Of, yeah, it's, 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 it's a deck of cards. He's like, here's a knife. Look, it's, it's about chivalry. And, oh, there, like, there's the sigil of the Lord I like, used to serve under. He's like, let me show you what I do with these. It's this little <laughs> game. And, mm-hmm. and then all the guards are naked. And then all the guards. Oh, no, no. There's some scenes where they're half dressed. <laughs> oh. so for the fan service. Yeah, the, the scene where Robin has infiltrated this castle, disguised as a troubadour, and he hears that this abbot is arriving, who he recently held up uh, in Sherwood Forest, 
and had been holding as a prisoner there and that this abbot is arriving and he's sure that the abbot is going to give him away but then it turns out to be Friar Tuck arriving in the disguise Mm -hmm. of this abbot and Lady Alice who's been wanting to hear more about Robin says oh you know we heard that you were waylaid by Robin Hood you must have met him tell us all about him is he as handsome as they say and Friar Tuck in the guise of the indignant abbot is like, oh no! He's a cast in both (laughs) eyes. He's missing more teeth than he has. As handsome as the back end of a horse. Yes. (laughs) It's so, it was, it was, it was a great scene and there was a lot of really great banter. Like I said, there was a lot of banter and a lot of banter between Robin and and Tuck. Like Mm -hmm. a lot of banter. Uh, Like, and it didn't feel tired it didn't feel droll it didn't feel forced it felt very it felt like these two men were friends yeah and had been friends for 10 years you know uh yeah absolutely all right next on the list is how robbed were the rich on a scale of one to ten are we counting gambling how (laughs) yes how well it's it's specifically how well did Robin serve as a champion of the people? I mean, I'd put it pretty low. Unlike most Robin Hood movies, it's not, they're not doing the whole, oh, we're taking from all the rich people. There was a little bit of it in there. They robbed the, they robbed the priest Jude. They robbed the, the corrupt blacksmith. They robbed Guy Benton through gambling. I'm actually going to rate it fairly high. And there is, while we don't see him distributing it, I will say, and you know, so it's it's gonna knock a point off for that. There is talk, you know, this is a Robin that's been going on for 10 years, so it makes more sense that people talk about, oh no, he's a friend to the little guy and everything, which they mm-hmm. do specifically mention in a few points here because they they talk about like they're trying to get in contact with him. Uh, or no, they talk about his bounty at the start, you know, it's like five thousand crowns, which is an insane amount of money at that point. But like, you know, they talk about how nobody will sell him out in the city because he's a friend to, to people. So I, I, I would actually rate it pretty high. I'd put it at like an eight or a nine. Uh, I, I might even put it higher, you know, to a 10, but I would put it at an eight to a nine. I'm, I'm going right in the middle, leaning towards a, a six in that we get this idea that this is a Robin Hood who does this. We get that scene where he is robbing the abbot and specifically calling out the church for its avarice, for its greed, and indicating that this is wealth that is going to be distributed. It's not the crux of the the plot. Um, Mm, It's not where we see him, why we see him battling our villains is on behalf of King Richard. Um, not on behalf of we need to protect the poor people who are getting heavily taxed or anything like that. We don't see him offering sucker to anybody who's been harmed or, or hurt. So I can't rank it very highly, but we got enough of a background. You know, it's something they even say at the very beginning text is how they've been levying this toll against the wealthy members of society. So we do get that notion that they yeah. are robbing the rich and w- that they are distributing some wealth, but it's also not 
emphasize that it's their raison d'etre, that it's it's not their motivator. Yeah. Oh, oh, I'll grant you that. No, no, I'll go with an eight because I do feel that they were very robbed. Again, you know, we don't see them. <laughs> well, like we see them flat out robbing people. You know, we do, and mm-hmm. and and everything. And and the question is, how robbed were the rich? Yes. <laughs> the rob- He's not the quite rich Bernie were very Sanders. robbed. I'm still waiting for the Robin Hood Bernie Sanders uh, casting. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's going to be in the next remake. <laughs> That would be a really interesting remake. All right. Any low points we want to hit? We've been saying a lot of really positive things about the film. Uh, we did clearly enjoy it a lot. I'm afraid it's not going to make it onto your list of worst movies of all time, <laughs> Jeff. Definitely not. It's way um, better than a lot of movies I've seen recently. But it's certainly not a perfect film. What were some of the low points? Like I said, I, I did feel some of the choreography for the fights were clunky. Mm. There are definitely a lot of the extras who it was clear they were just hold sword like this, hold sword like this, hold sword like this. Yeah, that was definitely one of the one of the down points. I mean, overall, I feel that there were far fewer low points in this movie than some of the more recent ones that we've watched. Mm-hmm. You know, because it is a genuinely fun film, and there's nothing that spoils it. You know, like sometimes there'll be like a scene that's kind of off tone or something like that. And I can't really think of one. I do feel that the very end of the movie is, it could be just a smidge stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, like like the denouement at the very end felt, I mean, it's literally, like, I think it's something like 70 seconds. It's, it's not yeah, very yeah. long. The very they, short scene with King Richard in the forest where he's just like, oh, well, everything turned out well. I forgive all you for being outlaws. And, and I forgive you for poaching, too. And hey, my, like knight dude who, my knight dude who's actually engaged to the lady, uh, how about you take that castle from the traitors? Yeah. yeah, he's the one who gets a castle, not Robin Hood. Yeah, which is that, that was actually something I well, he's, liked is Robin didn't get the castle. He's nobility. Yep. Mm-hmm, right and and so you know we have the reinforcement of the that you know oh, and, you and clearly you one of the king's trusted guys. yeah the, the climax felt kind of rushed it mm-hmm. wasn't bad you know we have richard and his crusader knights trying to to fend off this assassination attempt from the evil knights and, and their men and there's no they're kind of no... holding their own when well, yeah, Robin Hood crusaders and his men, against guards. Yeah, when Robin Hood and his men sort of ride up and Robin shoots some guys, they attack them, and then the head guard is just like, every man for yourself, and they just split. They flip. Well, um, it it's wraps up really quickly. You know, Robin basically arrives on the scene, and the bad guys are just like, Oh, nope, Robin's here, we've lost. For one thing, I actually do appreciate that. Richard and his companions are crusaders, they're coming back. They're not schlubs. And nope. yes, your ca- your average castle guard who spends all day just walking a wall. <laughs> yeah, not, not, not as good do as so the guy well. who just spent a, a few years smacking around Saracen. Yes, and I thought that was well demonstrated by the fact that you had the king and two knights holding off an entire band of tower guards. Tower guards who are not in armor. Yeah. Either. So like, yeah. you know, they're probably going to be a little bit more warrior swords. Yeah, because um, the guards were not in armor because they were disguised as, as bandits, as yeah. bandits, because they were going to try to blame the assassination on Robin Hood, um, which again they, was another the villains doing something clever kind of moment. 
yeah and no the villains had a solid plan and it felt solid and in that part of the you know things i didn't mind you know it is this is kind of the case of like oh look the guy with guys with a few levels and fighter they can hold off against the (laughs) the the guys the pile of level zero guards the pile of level zero guards (laughs) and then the pc showed up and you're like oh crap there is no confrontation between guy of benton and uh robin yeah, well, and Robin shoots him with an arrow. Yeah, he <laughs> right? just yeah. hits him with an arrow. Which, I mean, well, on on one level, I applaud it for its pragmatism. Did feel like it missed a payoff. You know? I was okay with it. There wasn't a lot of like personal animosity and a lot of like right. really like scenes in yeah. between the two of them. And Sir the guy guy's was, motivation was to to gank King Richard, and Robin's motivation was to save King Richard. And so I, I felt like on that level, the payoff was there. They didn't have any kind of personal stakes in which a, I, I kind of would have cared about a sword fight between well, the two. Yeah, but, well, yeah. And the guy was really, a, he was not a direct confrontation villain. No. He was all no, about sneakiness and guile. That was actually something else I liked. Also, he wasn't going to be present for the assassination of Richard. He right. was hiding elsewhere he only showed up on the scene because the assassination attempt wasn't going as well as he hoped it would. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of these things of like you're expecting a big confrontation and it doesn't happen. So yeah. it, does, it feels disappointing because you're expecting it, not because that part is bad. And Like yeah. if there had been just kind of more of a fight where it was like clear that Robin Hood was needed to save the day, I think would have been good. And yeah. that was why it felt a little bit rushed and underwhelming. But it was certainly serviceable it's pretty good yeah my primary low point was that idea of the dedication to richard uh there's a scene early in the movie where a count who is loyal to richard is trying to intercept a message that will let him know when richard's going to arrive in england and he thinks that robin hood is the one who has this message so he tricks robin into abducting him um which i thought was pretty well done also yep and then tries to get uh when he finds out that robin doesn't have the message tries to say well but will you will you help me will you help me recover this message let's save our good king richard and robin in that moment is like ah they just sounded the horn that says dinner is ready yeah but don't you love the king it's like sure i love the king but i also love dinner and it's time to eat like he was being very pragmatic and i really enjoyed that but then at the end of the movie where they find out that they have been tricked and that the ambush is happening in a different place and lady alice is written out to tell them this and they say oh we have to change our plans we need to go to this other place and save richard and somebody says, oh, but you only have six men and they have 20. You could be killed. And he says, oh, but we have to do it anyway. It's like, oh, where does this like sudden intense loyalty right. come from? Why is he actually willing to risk his life? This isn't a Robin who's a nobleman. This isn't a Robin who was in the Crusades with Richard. He has right. no personal relationship with Richard. You know, getting a, a, away from the whole like, ah, Richard probably wasn't that great a guy in the first place anyway like that this robin would especially at the end be so ready so ready to risk his life and those of his followers to save richard that that part felt a little 
little forced, a little bit like, oh, this is just the thing that we expect him to do. That's one of those reasons I think that so often in the retelling of Robin Hood, he is a disenfranchised nobleman is used because otherwise, why do you care who's king? If you're just a peasant who lives in the woods, who's king doesn't change the fact of how good your life is. Yeah. I think for me, reading that situation, I, I agree with you. It did feel a little, little bit like a left turn on the character or right turn, whichever way. I guess for me, it, it kind of made a little bit of sense because I think at that point he had become invested in the cause. Cause like at the first, at the start, he's not, you know, like you said, he's like, yeah, that's nice that, uh, you know, Richard's in danger and everything. I'm a bandit and I want dinner. But I think by the end of it, it's more he's he's invested in stopping the plot. Yeah. You know, because he realizes that if he doesn't, you know, there's this sudden power shift. It's true. He's put in a lot of work <laughs> yeah. at that point. It's a little bit of a sunk cost fallacy, but, you know, <laughs> but no, no, but I think it is. I think it is very much that, like, you know, he's. I'm going to see this through to the end because I said I would, and because I'm, you know, I'm involved. And also, if I don't, you know, this guy's just, you know, probably do terrible things to people and everything, and he's not a nice guy. So I, I, I don't feel it was quite as much of a yes. It did feel like okay, you know, this this motivation isn't well explained, but I didn't feel it was out of character. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's easy to ding the movies in general just for putting Richard forward all the time as such a good noble king he even has the line in this movie ah my beloved England mm-hmm. as though Richard the first actually cared at all about England yeah there was that but at least nobody talked about how democratic he was <laughs> this is true oh, or or even how good a king he was like nobody actually says that he's a great king they're mm-hmm. just like he's the king and it you know we need to stop people from murdering him when he shows up you know and his brother and his brother taking the throne and i actually would have been would have liked it more if it was presented more along the lines of like it kind of doesn't matter if he's the king we're going to go prevent somebody from being murdered i almost feel like that was more robin's motivation than anybody because you, like you said, this was a Robin who wasn't all about just killing people. And he was much more actually about kind of stopping people from dying sort mm-hmm. of a thing. There's this one guard who they knock out more than once. Uh, and you have to wonder how those <laughs> concussions have affected him. Yeah, But it would have been much more expedient to just kind of shank the guy and dump his body someplace. But they don't. Robin doesn't and and they don't kill people lightly and so like the idea that Robin regardless of any feelings he may or may not have about Richard as a king just the thought that he's like we're gonna go prevent people from you know people from just murdering the king because that's 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 bad yeah that's just a bad thing having people just run around murdering each other that definitely feels in character for this character for this particular Robin Hood I don't disagree with that. I, I think that is an astute and fair read on, on the character and situation. Yeah, so that was surprisingly few low points for mm-hmm. a Hammer film from the 50s. 
surprisingly a few low points and none of them like terrible. So any other high points or qualities you want to mention? Things that we haven't already covered. Jeff, do you have any? No, I don't think so. We've covered all my favorite bits. Yeah, I mean, I I did also feel like this this felt like a a story that unfolded nicely. You're not dealing with Sir Guy Benton at the start, actually. Like you don't even see him anywhere. Yeah. You know, so there's this unfolding thing where Robin finds out about something happening he then goes and investigates yeah there was some genuine mystery and investigation and it had a good this was something i was going to mention at this point now for high points and qualities is that they tie in the world mm-hmm. like heraldry ties into this investigation oh i don't know who this knight was but he describes his shield and so then he goes to the armorer who he thinks might have made the shield it is investigative in a very kind of real sort of way yeah. that also used the medieval setting. Yeah, it, it felt, uh, for lack of a better term, it felt like a well-written D&D module. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it really did. Where, like, you're entreated by this other nobleman to find out about this thing, you know, this this artifact that's been stolen. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, there's a, Ma- there's a MacGuffin at the beginning, there's, but there's then that doesn't... Uh, hold sway throughout the film. I was kind of expecting that this Saracen figure puzzle toy that held a secret message was going to serve as the MacGuffin throughout the film, but then it didn't. Like, yeah. but halfway through, mm-hmm. that message has been solved and they've moved on to other things. Yeah. Well, and they're like, you know, they they find out that they kidnap the you know, well, like they 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 basically kidnap the two people who like stole it and they interrogate them, which uh, you know call back to a previous uh i don't know if it was an intentional callback uh to a previous robert Hood movie one of them was named dickon which uh mm-hmm. you know was was who much the miller son had to murder in a river <laughs> but uh they uncover this they and you know they talk about and they find out that they met this guy on a on a bridge but he had this heraldry and there's a there's a really nice little bit of banter between i think it's pretty sure it's little john tuck and robin hood where they're discussing like well that's the heraldry of so-and-so and he would never do this but who would hide behind heraldry and everything no no blacksmith would would make it but but which blacksmith would and they all say together the name of the blacksmith. oh hugo the armorer yes hugo the armorer, the armorer, well, that jerk you know and everything he's a mercenary son of a and and you know and they have to go there and they have to investigate and you know they get almost trapped by the the sheriff and you know they finally wheedle the the information out of him and witness things it, it feels like i said it feels like a proper investigatory plot like you would have mm-hmm. in a really nice rpg module so they yeah, have that, to they have to make their stealth rolls uh yeah they have to make their stealth rolls or their upper body strength rolls to climb up into a loft or so yeah i mean that's that's one of the definitely one of the high points for me is that there's this genuine mystery that you as the audience learn about along with the characters which is the the kind of the best kind of mystery and you're finding out the clues and as the characters come to conclusions you come to conclusions and and Uh so and and i genuinely enjoyed that actually makes the first half of this movie really enjoyable the second half is good but that first half actually feels really 
really enjoyable that there's this movement yeah. of, in the investigation. My um, only other point that I wanted to mention, I, I do feel like the mention of Dickon might have been an Easter egg because there were a couple here and there while the film is never uh, trying to retell any of the ballads, it does lay in a few Easter eggs. Like you mentioned earlier, a guard, or not a guard, a, a knight mentions having met Robin before at the wedding of Alan Dale. And so that is an Easter egg in reference to a ballad. There's mention at the beginning of the film that, oh, we can't find Robin Hood. He's probably got a hundred hideouts scattered between Sherwood Forest and Barnsdale. And you almost never hear Barnsdale mentioned, but Barnsdale is the forest that is mentioned in the very oldest existing Robin Hood ballads. He's got this early connection to Barnsdale, at least as strong as the connection to Sherwood. It's just kind of gotten dropped off in more recent popular imaginings, most of them at least. They have Will Stutley as a non-speaking part. He's like, he shows up at one point. You know? Yeah, they're much the Miller's son, Will Stutley, like a couple other well-known Merry Men get name dropped. So there's a lot of really fun little Easter eggs in there for people who are kind of fans of, of Robin Hood and uh, Robin Hood stories without them just rehashing the stories that you've already seen before. Yeah, whoever wrote this, Obvi you know, well, uh, okay. Alan McKinnon wrote this. I I mean, <laughs> Whoever I mean, wrote this? Oh, Whoever. this very specific guy who tragically died very young. He was only forty-three. Yeah, he was he, he was fairly young. Died only a few years after this movie came out. Yeah. Um, actually, I believe he died the next year. He died in fifty-five. Yeah, so he died the next yeah. year. Yeah, um, real shame because he. I think he had a lot of. I mean, real shame for a number of reasons, not just because we didn't get more screenplays by him. Yeah, but he obviously had a lot, you know, some kind of familiarity with the source material, with the the actual source material, not the movie source material, mm -hmm. uh, because there's a, some of this is good callbacks to other movies, but some of it is definitely some callback to the actual, you know, because like the wedding of Alan Adale isn't in any but one of the movies that we've seen. Because uh, it's at the very end of the Prince of Thieves. Oh yeah. Which that's the uh, strange um, uh, Alexander Dumas one. Yeah. yeah, the Alexander Dumas where Alan Adale is Marion's brother. And yeah, yeah, but like it's not it's not mentioned in any of the other ones as far no. as you know that I can remember. And so, like to have it in there, obviously the the writer was familiar with the ballads on some level. You mm -hmm. know? Ballads or uh, some of the other novelizations that had existed by that point or something. Yeah. All right. Uh, any last words for us, Jeff? No, it was a surprisingly enjoyable movie considering my initial expectations. It was quite fun to watch. My, my apologies. I will try to find a bad <laughs> movie to watch with you some other time. Yes, we'll have, to, we'll, have to, we'll have to screen out and find a really terrible Something movie. I can actually rip into. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I would say to anybody who has been following along with us, and listening to this before <laughs> watching the movies, if you're, you know, that bent, actually go out and watch this one. This one, yeah. If you can find it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so I, I did. I, I had a trouble finding this film at first, but did eventually find it on DVD. Did get a DVD release, and I found it from a online retailer that retails many things, 
originally had primarily been books. <laughs> if you can find it from another source first, I, I would suggest doing that. Yeah, no, I would say definitely go and watch this one. Add it to your repertoire and, and Mike uh, needs to go watch this one. Yeah, Mike Nichols. Mike Nichols. You, Especially getting called out to go watch this movie I'm if you haven't already. I'm specifically calling you out to go watch this one and see if this might give give us give us a grade rating on the Friar Tuck in this movie. Yes, how, how do you feel about the strip poker playing Friar Tuck? <laughs> the strip poker playing body uh song singing uh prior talk i i want to know what i i'm actually really curious what mike uh what mike thinks of this because uh given that he is such a friar tuck fanboy <laughs> who writes a play who writes their own friar tuck fan fiction and makes it into a play it's so <laughs> it's so awesome well thank you gentlemen for joining us uh, in the Greenwood and kind of finding the hidden gem mm-hmm. from all these Robin Hood movies from the 40s and 50s that I kind of always hoped would be there. This is the this is so far the the real hidden gem. Yeah. Right? yeah the, Prince of, the Prince of Thieves film from 48 was very enjoyable. I liked mm-hmm. it a lot. This one was really solid though. This one was more like more fun. Like the only thing that would make the, that you know that uh, I think that the Prince of Thieves movie brought us more more genuine joy with was Maud. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she was a great character. She was a great character. This one was just a genuinely fun Robin Hood story and movie. And so, yeah, I totally I would really encourage people to go and watch this one. Yep. Jeff, final thoughts. Again, just a surprisingly good movie with lots of funny bits in it and just not a st- not a story I expected to hear because when you say we're going to watch a movie on Robin Hood, I expect it. I expect your standard origin of Robin Hood, dealing with the sheriff, dealing with Prince John, Richard returns, and that's it. Yeah. And this was just a very different approach. It was really nice. Yeah, it was good. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Enjoy the rest of your evening. I went into this project being well acquainted with the 1938 film starring Errol Flynn, and a few of the more modern Robin Hood movies as well. From that perspective, I had been expecting that the film industry had fully glommed on to the narrative that Robin Hood had been a nobleman before becoming an outlaw. My suspicions deepened when I watched the 1922 Douglas Fairbanks movie for the first time in which our hero spends more of the film's runtime functioning as a knight in the service of King Richard than he does as an outlaw in Sherwood Forest. And so it's come as a bit of a surprise and a delight to have come across several films now from the 1940s and 1950s that have not relied on that narrative. 1952's Story of Robin Hood did see him being granted a title at the end, But in the beginning, he was the son of a simple yeoman. And while 1948's The Prince of Thieves and this film, Men of Sherwood Forest, have eschewed providing an origin story, we are presented with a Robin fully formed already, the leader of an outlawed band, and quite clearly not a member of the noble class. And while neither of those films attempted to retell the classic ballads, In some very substantive ways, 
they're the ones that feel the most like an extension of the medieval tradition of Robin Hood stories, as those early ballads don't dwell on Robin's origin either, and distinctly reference him as being a yeoman. Not exactly coming from the lowest rungs of society, but decidedly not of the ruling elite either. I'm curious now to see what the other films from the 50s and 60s will bring as we continue this cinematic journey through time. Although, for the next Splitting Arrows, we'll be dipping our toes back into the Child of Robin Hood subgenre, with 1958's Son of Robin Hood. I hope that you'll join us again for that one as well. In the meantime, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, all with the handle at IntoGreenwood. You can also email us directly via intogreenwood at gmail.com. Into the Greenwood is completely ad-free, and we're hoping to keep it that way. To do that, though, we do rely on your support. Contributions for as little as a dollar per episode on patreon.com slash intogreenwood go a long way towards keeping us on the air. Of course... Backers will also get access to early episode releases, t-shirts, and other perks. And because we value both charity and conservation, 10% of all proceeds go to the selected top-rated foundation of Trees, Water, and People. Non-monetary contributions, such as positive ratings and reviews that help us get noticed in the Podfinder algorithms, and good old-fashioned word of mouth, goes a long way towards helping small, independent podcasts like this one. Into the Greenwood is produced and edited by me, Thaddeus Papke. Our theme music is by Plastic 3. Also, if you've never seen The Court Jester starring Danny Kaye, please do yourself a favor and give that film a watch. As always, thank you once again for joining us in the Greenwood. Taylor was doing that also. He was doing a really good job of being able to convey this, ser- like, I need to be dead serious when I have to, but also genuinely going to be laughing and having a, a joke with my friends. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's, it's the uh, Robin Hood should be like a mullet, you know, hurting <laughs> in the back, business up front. Yeah. That's getting cut out. <laughs>